Hello everyone, I'm Abhinav Jant, and this is the Real Abhinav Audio Experience. Welcome to the Real Abhinav Audio Experience. This is your host, Abhinav Jan, and I aspire to make this podcast go beyond the surface. In this podcast, I intend to bring you insights from the topmost performers, no matter what industry they're in. We talk about how they've done things differently to grow their minds and keep their physical and mental health in shape. My mission with this podcast is to help overwhelmed individuals learn ways to reduce their depression, anxiety, and live with peace and love. I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Blossom Media Studio. Thank you so much for creating and distributing my podcast and taking away literally every single thing that's involved with podcasting so I can just spend the time to talk to my guests and create great episodes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Real Abhinav Audio Experience. Today, again, I have a very special guest for you. I'm joined today with Rocky Singh Kandola, a.k.a. Vikram. Joining us today from LA, where he lives, a young 34-year-old successful businessman living now in LA, but born in New York, has his own uh, showroom now in good old Beverly Hills, selling this uh, amazing hair from India. And what you may not know about this gentleman is he was also a felon in a previous life. What's more interesting and intriguing to me and why I brought him on the show is he's also a philosophy graduate. But his story gets so deep, you guys wouldn't believe that when he was in the high school period of life, when most of us are in our pre-teens and teens, early 20s, he ended up moving from facility to facility, nine to be exact, things like boot camps across the world, places where they take kids to try to make them better. Most of those places don't exist today because Vikram was actually part of some of the abuse that, is, that goes on in these kinds of places. Crazy to hear, but you know, we're hearing all kinds of insane things these days in our world. Most of his incidences in life revolved around getting in trouble with different people. He mentioned to me that he had half of his face and jaw replaced because of an attempted murder on his life. He's been shot at, he's been stabbed at, he's been kidnapped, he's been kicked in the face. He's had around 20 major surgeries in his adult life. And he's definitely seen some really, really dark parts of life. Vikram, I want to first off thank you for being here. And I want to just take a moment to really not put any lightness to what you've come through. But I really want to spend today not going into the details about how and what happened and more about how you got to where you are today and what that really means. So since you are a philosophy graduate and understand that word, I'm very curious to start out with, like, what is your current philosophy in life? Like all the things that you've gone through, like, what do you think we're all here for? And more importantly, what do you think you're here for? Yeah. So what's your philosophy in life? Definitely. So first of all, thank you for having me out here today as well, my brother. So my philosophy on life, and I guess it kind of changes as as we grow, as we learn, things kind of change over time. Uh, For me, I believe that we're all on our own journeys and we all are connected in those journeys as well. We all have a spiritual kind of soul connection to the world and we're kind of uh, pursuing and and going after those journeys in life, you know, with our heart and our minds in in it, we kind of all end up in a really great state. And I think what's happening around the world now is like so many people have gotten distracted by what they see on social media, about by, by who they look up to and the superstars and the TV and the music, that we're forgetting, you know, what it is that we're, we're actually here to do. And that it's kind of simple. I've learned uh, slowly, which is it's hard to comprehend, but it's easy to say. We're, we're already doing it. I, I, when I look back and I see everything I've done and everything I've been through, I realized that in order for me to be the state I am now, mentally, physically, emotionally, and financially, everything else, it kind of took all of that to get here. For me personally, that's my journey. And my future journey is to share that and to share that knowledge with people, especially they're feeling stuck or feeling like they can't get out of the positions they're in or that they've went through a lot of heartache or a lot of, you know, trauma or even physical or sexual abuse. All these things are just, you know, are words and things that happen to us, but the way we perceive them and the journey that we're on during them uh, really kind of ends up being like your magical book, basically, like, like what you, your gift to the world. And that's kind of my philosophy these days. And once again, I read a lot watch a lot of YouTube. So every once in a while I have like a shift that comes in. Uh, I recently just read a couple of Paulo Coelho books 
the alchemist and the pilgrimage. And it's really cool just how it feels like I kind of reconfirmed myself. These books kind of came in front of me at this time. I was kind of dealing with a, a little bit of an issue in a personal relationship of mine. And it's just the way they came up to me and the way these books just found me almost and the magic that was in them and the, and the words that were in them, once again, kind of like made me realize, you know, especially for Paulo Coelho, the alchemist, he talks a lot about omens and signs and things. And I, I realized that when I'm unconscious about, you know, what's going on around me, anything can happen. It can fly by. Who knows what's happening? I don't even feel like I'm in control of my life. When I get conscious of these things, these, these signs around me, even from everything to just having a little chill in your body when you hear something, receive something, and you really stop and say, you know, what is this here for? What is it teaching me? What is the lesson behind it? And what does it mean? And you really consciously think about that. The power of that is just, it's, it's universal. And it's, that's, that's like, I believe that is like the real connection to the soul and to the world and to God. Beautifully articulated to say the least. And you very much today sitting in front of me in the present moment, sound like a man who's spent a lot of time reflecting on his past to get to where he is today. You said something very interesting to me. You said all these traumas, these past tragic events that have happened in your life are no longer in your reality, but they did happen at one point. And, and the reason I want to kind of dig into this is because a lot of times I think we, we overlook and we kind of glorify our past as if like this is the thing that I have to use like as a crutch for my entire being. It doesn't seem like that's the case with you to me. Yes, that's your truth. That's what you've experienced. But the person that I feel like I'm talking to now is not that anymore. You clearly, life has thrown so much at you through the physical nature that we exist in, you know, with this body connected with this breath to our mind and the way we experience life through our senses. You're someone that I can see life has already given you in the short period that you've been around so much through the physical and the senses and the, and then like the abuse that would come to the body, but somehow your spirit, it just feels like it's very strong still. And I'm wondering what, what did it take to kind of keep that alive? Cause most people would not have survived what you've survived and they might not even get to this point of reflection where you've gotten to. So I know, I know I'm asking you a big question, but I think what I'm trying to really understand here is how does a man go from getting, you know, his face reshaped, his body completely screwed up by different events, all that trauma, you know, and especially at a young age, I think drugs were involved and of course violence was involved. How does someone even like get through any of that and get to where you are? Like, you know, someone that like you that's reflected on that, what would you want to talk about for, from that perspective? Yeah. So, I mean, huge question once again, <laughs> but I've actually recently started uh, looking into a book. I can't think of the name for now, but it deals with talking about your shadow side. Mm -hmm. And it talks a lot about how we all have within us, as they say, a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. And the reason those kind of stories touch so many people around the world around such a big consciousness is because there's such an innate, you know, internal truth to it. And when we can understand that and see like, you know, and accept it, we both, we all have, these different sides of us, things become more easier to, to differentiate and to understand and to grow on and move from versus just react to. So, you know, as you said, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, even these things that happened to me, a lot of them were, you know, were based on especially me you know, being a certain way and filtering things in the world a certain way and viewing things a certain way. Um, you know, as a young child, a lot of things happened to me um, that were totally out of my control. As an adult, I kind of kept that filter on me, the anger, the hate, um, the disrespect for authority, the, the feeling like I couldn't trust anybody. Everyone's going to screw me over and hurt me. And I kept that filter on. And as long as I perceived things like that and saw it like that and believed that, it kept happening to me. Mm. Um, everything police-wise, prison-wise, violence after 20 years old, I really thought this was who I was. This was going to happen. I wouldn't, I filtered like that. I would get in fights with people driving. I would have cops pull me over and get in fights with them. I would be in prison, getting in trouble, in jail, getting in trouble back and forth every couple of weeks. I think everyone has a, a lot of point in their life when they have some type of a shift, right? 
and we can have that kind of opportunity to knock at our door to shift and change. If we're not open and ready to receive it, you know, it's going to pass us by and, and, and what life does, it'll bring it around again to you and see if you're ready. The lessons, the lessons, exactly. until you learn it, it'll keep coming back. Keep coming back. Exactly. Exactly. Mine actually, my big one actually came after prison. You know, after I got out, I got back. How long were you in prison? If I don't mind me asking. So I was, um, my sentence was crazy. I got sentenced to 10 years, split to serve three. In yeah. Alabama, that means you serve the, the time on the front end. Um, and then if you get in trouble, which I did, I followed my probation, did all kinds of stuff. <laughs> you get sent to prison again afterwards. Mm. So I've been uh, about six to nine months in jail at different times. I did 11 months twice, 22 months in total on house arrest. And then I did inpatient rehab twice for three to four months until finally after all that, and I was still messing up and still smoking weed and sneaking off to Mexico. They finally sent me to prison and I did about two and a half years at one stretch in prison, about 27 months at one stretch in prison. This is including like the, the time I had to quarantine and get to jail and then to prison and finally get out. I've got a quick favor to ask of you. If you've been enjoying this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could take one minute of your time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way and I'd really, really, really appreciate it. If you've already done that, thank you again. Please share this episode with someone you know, a friend or family member, download the episode or share the link, whatever works for you. Now let's get back to it. Fuck. Yeah, it was, it was a long, I mean, when you're going through stuff like that, it's just, you're looking up and you're like, man, this is never going to end. I'm going to be here forever. But looking back now, it was, just, it was such a small piece of like, you know, everything that happened. And, you know, honestly, if I didn't go to prison, I wouldn't have this business that I have right now. I would, cause that's where I, that's where I had the, the connections with people I met and the conversations that actually sparked the idea behind what I'm doing right now in my hair company. And we actually made the business sitting under a bunk bed with a stolen stuck in cell phone with people watching for police for us and us, you know, down there just calling his, my friends, cousins and sisters and saying, Hey, you know, what's, what's hot on the market? What are people buying? You know, what do we need to buy? How do we make this work? And then from there was a one page business plan. But yeah. Like I was saying, when I got out, I didn't really jump right into that. I got back in the same lifestyle. Hmm. My first kind of moment came um, randomly. I was doing everything. I got my, my teeth had been knocked out. I finally got my teeth back. I was finally off probation, uh, totally free could do whatever I want to do. And I was doing the same things. I mean, I was, I was in the same circles. I had my same crew. I had different girlfriends. I had, you know, my, my dope at one spot, my money at one spot, my car at one spot. Um, and I was living that, that crazy lifestyle. And all of a sudden, one day, my dad, who never got along with me, really nicely came to me just and asked me, like, hey, Rocky, you know, you're not living at home really anymore. You don't really ask us for this and that anymore. You know, if you want to leave and get out of the country for a while, um, I'll take care of it. And that was November 4th, 2013. And... It was such a weird feeling. Like looking back on us, it's so like so wild. It was a definitely an outside energy, definitely a higher power, definitely a spirit that came to me and was like, "Rock, let's go." And at that point in time, finally, after I've been through everything, I was finally open to receiving it. And before I even knew what I was saying, I said yes. So that moment, November fourth, I left on my mom's birthday three days later, the seventh. I said bye to everything, all the girls I was talking to, all the people I was selling dope with. I even came home and brought my dad like a, a, a pill bottle of like a hundred some Oxycontins that I was like, you know, using and selling and stuff and just gave it to him and said, uh, okay, you know, let's, let's go. I'm going to go try it. And I didn't change my life right then, but that was, a, that was the beginning spark and factor. So in my mind, when I look back, I see a couple of things right there. I see one, especially the ability and the openness to want something different or want something better. I was a dope boy, a party animal, a playboy, a fun kid. I mean, that was my identity. And that's what some people called me. And more importantly, that's who I really believed I was. And I really didn't think that there was anything else. And I didn't, and I wasn't depressed about it. I was like, cool, this is who I am. I'm going to keep being this and I'm going to keep going forward. When this happened, when my dad asked me that, it was like, I think I was already starting to question myself, like, hey, Rocky, like, is there something else out there? Hmm. Something else? Like, is there a different lifestyle for me? And I had no idea yet. I didn't have a vision. I didn't have a dream behind it. I just had that one small glimmer of hope and, and, and faith that there might be something different I could possibly do. I had no plans. I had, I mean, I graduated college with a philosophy degree. And if you know a philosophy degree, there's not much you can do with it except go to law school. And, you know, I had already been uh, accepted into law school while I was sitting in jail. The judge said no to letting me go. So I, by the time I got out, I was kind of like, I'm not going to go to law school now. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to law school. So, yeah, so I took that leap of faith and... What it did for me was a lot. It got rid of all the small distractions in my life. 
Um, I didn't have an iPod. I had an iPhone. I didn't have data on it. So I was not listening to music. I was not watching TV anymore. I was living on a farm in Punjab with my family friend. Hmm. And it's a lifestyle, totally free of distractions. And slowly, like, more and more of this started to come into me. It just started to pour into me. Like, I'm like, you know what? Like, there is so much more I can do. And then I had energy, too, because I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't coming off drugs. I wasn't drinking every night. I wasn't partying every day. I wasn't chasing women every day. Um, I had just no distractions, no friends even to talk to, you know, nothing, just just pure natural life out there. Um, and that's when I started, you know, like, okay, let's let's see what I can do now. I'm an entrepreneur. I've always been a, a quote-unquote hustler. I know I'm good words. I know I can speak. I know I can sell products. Let me see what I can make a product of my own. And, you know, from, from being there, that's when Hair Man India started way back when I was in India. From there, it's been seven years now. And there is a couple other shifts that happen. You know, we can get into it more and more as we go. But it has been a journey. It's like it's been up and down. The one thing I have not done since then is go back to that lifestyle of selling drugs or being in those circles of people that are doing that anymore. And I had a lot of friends kind of look at me like, you know, leave it. Like, you're not going to hang out. Or you're, what you're good for you now. Or are you just going to change? Like, you can't do this. Or like, you know, this is not who you are. You're faking this and that, blah, blah. And I just blocked them. You know, I send them love. Like, like I, I've now since, you know, reached out a few of them and like, just say, hey, how's it going, man? Everything's okay. But without hate, without anger, just I just I, I just blocked them. And I was like, you know what? I don't really know if they're right. I really hope they're not because I don't want to be fake. <laughs> but I got to try something different right now. And and I have to. And I did that. And it's been up and down like a couple of times, you know, they had a relationship with an ex-wife in there. I wanted to reach out to some of them so bad and just, you know, fall back into that. And I was living in L.A. alone and I was actually homeless living in L.A. alone. And I almost did fall back into a lot of it. I got to a point when I, when that happened, like where I started doing a little bit of drugs again. Uh, you know, just randomly in a bathroom in Hollywood. Someone's like, hey, I got this, I got that. I'm like, okay, whatever. I was just lost again for a certain amount of time. That was your comfort because it's something you knew before. Because yeah, my coping mechanism, basically, you know, like it's just, it's just, even now, like, like I recognized it a couple of weeks ago, I went through a hard time in a personal relationship and I was like, man, the first thing I want to do is hop on a plane or hop in my car and go to Mexico or go to some party destination and just chase, chase chicks and, and get drunk. And I realize I can I can kind of do that now in moderation if I'm not doing it with those intentions. Like I can still enjoy myself, have a couple glasses of wine, this and that. But as soon as I use whatever I'm feeling and then try to cover it with these coping mechanisms, it's going to go downhill from there. And I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to train my brain to know that. And it's really about like reprogramming your, your subconscious and your conscious to know that like, hey, like these coping me- mechanisms you're using are harmful. And every time you do them, you're hurting yourself. And if you look back 10 years, now I can see when I look back, like the patterns between them, you know, like there's so many instances that, that I got in trouble or got stabbed or got shot at that literally, like if I could, like I do now, just take a breath, like one breath, literally before I make that choice and that decision, it, it's, it's life changing. It's everything. I, I, I can't, you know, I'm not going to even try to say that I fully comprehend what you've went through, but everything that you've described to me sounds a lot to me like a man who, again, took time to take stock. And yeah, like you said, there was something higher, bigger than you that spoke to you in that moment where you decided to at least explore the possibility of who you thought you were and believed you were and chose to explore the unknown, which is, can I really be this other idea? And you chose to actually pursue that. And I think most people, even the ones that don't have such a crazy background where they've had crime in their life, I think most people tend to shy away from that pursuit in itself because it's too comfortable to be just in the belief system that you're in. It's almost, it's very rare that people want to shake out of their belief system. And it's almost either forced onto them as it was to a degree on your case where you are kind of at the end of your road. It's like, if you keep going this way, you're either going to be dead. And I mean, clearly God, the universe, the creator really loves you a lot that through all these things that you've gone through, you've made it, man. And you still have this big smile on your face. And it just like warms my heart to be in your presence now, because that's really like what love means. I'm not, it's not about affection and sex. Those are like subsets of a much bigger wheel that runs this entire universe. It's it's exactly that. I mean, it's really hard to say it even in words, and I think you can probably relate to that. So I want to hear more around the 
lesson that or lessons that you think you could share with us around even though you were in such a dark place what did you what was the positive thing that you got out of being in such a chaotic world you know because not many people can talk from that experience and many of them are dead they couldn't so when you were in that place like what was something positive that you think you could speak to I kind of get chills thinking about it because it's it's like there's a part of me that like there I have a lot of brothers and sisters that we call each other survivors out there from the place that I went to as a kid. Um, and a lot of them are not able to speak about it and are still very hurt about it. And, you know, I, I have nightmares pretty much every night. I'm not just like healing isn't just like a. It's not like this. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's, it's constant. Right. So for me, like there's still a lot that like subconsciously I'm working through. And I, that's why I think a lot of my nightmares is not things like that come from. But I have came to a place now that I realize, like, you know, like, regardless of how bad these places are, and they're, they're bad. I mean, they, they're for-profit businesses that do this and that. And just to add some color, sorry, he's talking about these groups and rehab facilities, or so to speak, straighten you out facilities that he was going to, with the intention of being better, turned out that these places were actually worse. They were not there to help you. They were kind of like this mix of a pseudo military concept with like this crazy torture chamber concept of like how you would keep an inmate. I don't really think that that's a productive environment for anyone's development. So I just wanted to kind of add that detail in, but please continue. Yeah, exactly. And especially not as a child. You know what I mean, and what's sad, I heard you say earlier that most of them are closed down. What's crazy is they're still in operation under different names to this day. And that's the reason for the Facebook groups and us speaking online a lot about it as well. And, and this is an unpopular opinion that I speak about now. And that's the, the, the lesson that I got out of it. You know, the boot camps I went to as a kid, they're crazily emotionally and mentally torturous, right? And I realized, you know, at 11, 12 years old, sitting there and looking at my journals now as an adult, I look at those journals and I'm like, wow, was this 12-year-old me? Because it looks like, it sounds like a grown-ass man, like talking about life and about wanting to hurt himself or about wanting to get out of here about how to adapt to what's going on. So I think one of the biggest things I learned early on, which, you know, it saved me in a certain sense and it taught me about business in a certain sense. And then I grew from it after that was how to adapt and then manipulate any situation that I'm in. And when I say manipulate, I kind of use it loosely because back then you have to understand if I wasn't able to manipulate those situations, you could be dead. (laughs) That was a survival mechanism. And as I grew and as I'm older now, I realized like, it's not about manipulating. It's about really taking time to step back and, and doing the situation in multiple angles and multiple perspectives, and then kind of deciding and moving on going forward from there. Back then, you know, it was, it was, it was all about that. There's, there's a lot of small things that I've taken from these places now as an adult that I've looked back on. I think for prison, one of the biggest ones was, was people like just learning. I, I'm Indian, right? Obviously in prison in Alabama, we have, huge white population, huge black population, and small Mexican population. I was the, the psychologist that did my intake was like, wow, you're Indian. I've been here for 35 years. And you're the first person, Indian person I've ever seen walk through these doors in penitentiary. And I was like, okay, great. I mean, I kind Check of expected that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so cool because I, at this point in my life, when I went to prison, I've already been to so many multiple boot camps and, and facilities around the world. That, and this is one thing I say on my bio as well, and I love about myself is that I feel like I can actually communicate and touch and connect with anybody in the world, regardless of language. And in prison, I really saw that on my face because in prison, like, especially in Alabama State Prison, is really cheap, like really, really cheap run, run prisons. You kind of have to pick a side a lot of times, either white, either black, you're click, you're group, you're Spanish, you speak it, and so on and so forth. It's really, it's a different world in there. And I speak Spanish myself as well. And so I saw myself in prison. I was like, you know what? At first, I took the first week to kind of just observe and I was kind of a little more quiet and I realized I was like wow like I can kind of fit in anywhere and I don't want to I hope I don't get in trouble for that but then that that kind of like playing the game learning how to adapt situation side came to me and I was able to to hang out with my white friends and drink coffee and play cards and play soccer outside and my Mexican friends and just literally play play soccer outside all my black friends and play basketball and I was like one of the few people in there like you know that was that didn't have any kind of like major you know case street cred like that did this and that to kind of back me up and i just had a distribution case and i was able to go in between people really easily and nicely and i saw people on both sides and all sides of it looking to me for 
advice for legal advice for, for life advice and to talk and business stuff. And at that point in my life, I didn't really feel like I knew much because my identity was bad boy, party animal, dope boy, this and that. But the part of me I wasn't realizing that was always in me is my heart and my, my genuine, and you spoke about love earlier. And for me, that love has always been a tough one, right? Cause I always look for it outside. I've always needed some kind of love and connection. My parents sent me away to these boot camps and places. I felt unloved. I felt like no one cared about me. So my rest of my life, I've been looking for that. And when I was in there, I realized that I'm not looking for love in prison, obviously, right? But I have something within me that people are recognizing as, as a shining light, as golden, as love. And I'm sharing that unconsciously. And I didn't recognize it then. I recognize it now looking back. And one of my good friends from prison, he's actually in LA as well. 10 years ago, we were there together. We were actually talking about things and some of this stuff. And we just hung out last week. And it was just such a like a crazy thing to see. Like if you could imagine yourself 10 years ago sitting in a box and it would rats and bugs crawling around the hole, just hoping and wishing you could one day make it to, you have no idea where, make it to something better. And that's like literally where we are now. And when we kind of get deep about it, he's a deep dude as well. We realize like most of these things like that we kind of wished for were already inside of us, like the, the stuff that we wanted, the money and the material stuff, all that comes anyway, and it'll come and go. I, I know right now that whatever I've accumulated, whatever I have, like the guy outside, the homeless person, I can make two bad decisions, even one bad decision and be sitting right out there again. Mm, wow. And, and that's like a really, it's a, like life has humbled me to that. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't just, just humble like that always, you know, I've, it's happened to me. I've been up, I've been low. And I realized that like those things that most of society calls, oh, wow, successful, oh, wow, not successful has very, very little to do with it. Hmm. It's, if you're internally in chaos, first of all, you'll never keep whatever you think you're accumulating. As far as my, as my opinion goes, from what I've seen goes. So yeah, like, I think, and I really like what you said about love because that's such a, such a huge thing that, that nowadays in our sexual like fuel society uh, with sex everywhere, we kind of, especially younger men are starting to confuse that more and more and more. We can blame the women too. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. And the women as well. Definitely the women as well. Can't leave them out. Right? Yeah. Right. No, but you know, it, it, just to kind of chain on that, like one of the biggest realizations for me about love as a concept has really been that I've realized love is not something that happens externally within people. It's something that happens within you inside. Like when you fall in love or when you find something that you just have lots of love for, and I'm using a word to describe us, uh, this internal process. It's like the best word we have. It's again, something that happens within you. It's not something external. However, going with the, since we're both in the, into philosophy, going with the, the inside and the outside are one, they're not actually disconnected. And what I mean by that is you and me sitting here talking or when you speak to anyone and you realize that you also have this process of thinking that goes on in your mind, those are not two distinctly separate things. They're happening both in the same moment in time, which means that they're actually simultaneous operations. There's no disconnection. Our mind has this ability to create separation, to, to introspect and to see different perspectives. It's actually the way we use to survive, because if we're not able to do that, we wouldn't be effectively able to move forward. So we're able to like kind of hypothetically pay, play chess, right? But the interesting thing about a lot of like what you've said and what I really kind of picked up on, when you started to realize that you don't have to go and pursue whatever just comes into your mind, I think you were starting to develop this power of separating you from your thought process and the impulsiveness that we all have and have to kind of break that conditioning over time, right? Because this isn't something that we were taught. I don't even think people are still taught this. If you're lucky and you understand truly what yoga and meditation is not just like wearing leggings and going to the, you know, flex on the beach type of thing, right? But if you truly understand what those things are pointing to, that's pretty much the only thing that I'm aware of that helps you see the separation between the thinker and the observer that exists within us, right? So 
I think it would be valuable for me to hear your perspective on that. Like you, you mentioned, obviously you had coping mechanisms at the time that involved drugs. So many people today, especially in California are addicted to marijuana and to weed. I'll admit it. I love to smoke weed, but I didn't smoke weed my entire life. I was a competitive bodybuilder. I used to look down on people that smoked weed. But meanwhile, I was taking steroids because I was like, I wanted to look a certain way. But once I remember psychologically, I crossed that bridge of like not being a drug user to taking anything. I realized that I had just disarmed my ability to, you know, hey, it's okay now. So then, you know, when something else come around, why stop? You know, why not try this? Why not try that? And it's like you allow yourself an inch and it'll take a mile. Like your mind is crazy, right? And that's just kind of how it works. And for me, though, I can spin the whole journey with, you know, weed for me in a positive way, largely because I think from where I was in my life at that time, I was already making good money. I was already deemed successful by, by society, but I was deeply unfulfilled inside. I felt I had a huge void. And I think what happened with me and smoking and all was I really started to have no option but to dig deeper into that because I was living alone, because I was by myself mostly all the time, except for when I was working, I had lots of time to think because I had no other responsibility. So I would just get high and I would just have all these kind of, you know, how it is. It's like a whirlpool inside. And that journey led me to find the teachers that I follow now that like in the spiritual realm that have helped me kind of see the power of introspection, see the power of meditation. And it's really helped me to disconnect from this perceived identity, this idea that we all hold about ourselves and what's actually real. And what's real is only what's present in front of you now. Everything else is an idea or a concept that's floating in and out of your thought process. It's, and those thought processes are also tied to the senses and the emotions and the, all the things in your body that you feel, right? So it's like, but none of that is you. And we're talking about something very deep. So if someone listening to this isn't able to follow along, it's okay. Understand that those are fundamentally true for everyone. There is this internal process and then there's this external manifestation of it. But until you get to that point in your life where you're starting to see that those are those are actually some things that are observable, it's very difficult to make a shift and make a change. So I want to go back to like your journey of when you were trying to cope using drugs to when you started to realize that you actually needed alternative ways. Help me understand and walk me through like what that journey was like for you to start to kind of incorporate these things. Yeah. As I said, like when I went to India, um, I didn't think I told you, I actually got married out there. So I, I met a girl three months later, we're engaged four or five months later. Traditional Indian way, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're like, get this boy married. He'll be better off. You know, he's, he's up to no good. Get him married, get him a wife, get him a kid. And then like, and then he'll, he'll be out of, out of trouble. I mean, that's. I know they're looking back now. Like, geez, why do we say <laughs> I mean, honestly, like um, me and her are friends now. We've been separated for three and a half years almost, but we've came to a good place. And I'm so grateful for that relationship. It was so, it devastated me, you know, at the end of it. And I'm sure she was very, very hurt as well. But I'm so grateful for it. I'm so blessed to have met her and gone through that with her and to grow, grown with her. But the story goes like this. After India, we came back to New Jersey and we were trying to work. And, you know, I got a job teaching tennis, trying to get this business off the ground struggling and hustling, you know, trying to make it. And we're doing, doing well. So doing slowly. it the right way this time. <laughs> doing it the right way. Yeah, the, the big, like I said, the big thing I, I decided was, and she told me too, is like, Rocky, do you want to go? Cause I was very angry then. She was like, Rocky, if you want to go hurt these people, don't marry me. I'll go with you and we'll go get them. If you want to go sell drugs, I won't marry you. Um, but I'll, I'll be cool with you. And I was like, I don't want any of that in my life anymore. You know I, mean? I, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to have a family. And that's what I want to do. Um, so that's the kind of, that's the road, the intention that we set out on. From there, like I still had plenty, and I, I have to admit, you, I mean, I had plenty of issues still. I re I just came out of this lifestyle of totally different, you know. So trust issues, insecurities. I was still here and there, like I was smoking a lot of weed still. I was still here and there, you know, like you said earlier, if a little pill comes around, it's just a half one, a small one. I'm smoking weed, and well, might as well, right? A little purpose that or something like that, or you know, happiness and that. And I was still using all that stuff. So, I, if anything, that put a heavy strain on the relationship. And on top of that, you know, I didn't have a career or a job, a bank account or anything yet. 
My father was helping us a bit. She didn't like that. I didn't like the feeling of that at 25 years old either, 27 years old either at this point. So our relationship was strained and we made it, you know, we, we made it all the way through and eventually made it to California. By the time we had to Cali, we were living with her family out here for two weeks and we had a major fight and she left. Hmm. Literally just packed up in the bag one day and was at the airport before I could even, I remember crying <laughs> and running through TSA and telling TSA like, no. I this is like some wife. movie shit, bro. <laughs> this is like some true Bollywood shit right here. Stop yeah, the got, plane. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I ran. I, oh I, I, I looked back at it. I was like, geez, how did I not get shot? Because yeah, I ran all the way to the gate, you know, like to like where the end of TSA is. And I was like, you got to stop. My wife is on there. She's not. I was like, go, go get her. Like, she blah, has a blah. bomb. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. I, I, didn't, I didn't go that far. I didn't go that far. I'm just trying to make I'm, light I'm, of the situation. This is no in no way something to joke about, but I, 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 I'm just so thankful, dude, that you're in such a good place now that you're yeah. able to at least laugh at some of this stuff. And But anyway, carry on with your story. Sorry. <laughs> or is it, it actually does feel good to be able to smile and look back at it now. Because back then, going through it, being that kid running through the airport, I say kid because I feel like a child still at that point. Man, my heart was beating. I was sweating. I, I couldn't, I couldn't lie. I didn't have the ability to even like walk to my car at that point. I just didn't know what to do. I want to take another quick moment to thank our sponsors, Podcast Backdrops. If you do any kind of video content or pictures online, or you're doing any sort of selling over Zoom calls, you really need to check them out because it will make you look professional from the get-go. Having your brand, your logo, and what you're all about behind you, hiding all your clutter, makes you look so much more professional when you put yourself out there on the internet. So check out Podcast Backdrops if you want to level up your game. But yeah, she left. And um, and I was almost getting successful in business. I just got to LA and I realized that like, my voice, the way I spoke, the fact that I'm Indian and selling an Indian product, people were really getting attached and like that. And I realized that, you know what, this might be like kind of a break I was looking for a little bit because tennis is out the door for me right now because I tore my ACL. I was teaching tennis, mm. I made a piece of money on the side to kind of keep everything going. And I was out the door after I tore my ACL. So when she left, I was homeless. I, I couldn't go back to her parents' house. I had a minivan with all my hair inventory and one guy that ended up business guy that really ended up screwing me over pretty badly in LA with, with all kind of money stuff. You know, it's looking back, like it was my fault. I was drunk the whole time. And it was like, like, please take advantage of me. And he did, you know what I mean? He got at the right time kind of thing. But yeah, that's when I was like starting to, for the first time, really get back into using drugs as a coping mechanism. I mean, I'm going through a separation. I'm living in my minivan. I'm living in hostels one night. Um, I woke up on the outside of my van, like on the ground, multiple nights and it was crazy i kind of documented all this i made videos like of myself that i didn't share anybody like talking to myself and just like crying and talking to my ex-wife and like saying things and it's really hard to look back at but now three years later it's, it's much easier to see but yeah eventually it got to a point where i thought i'll be able to get her back and something i wasn't i have so i'm a felon with no job history no bank account and no not no good credit at this point so nobody in LA would give me an apartment. Uh, so I couldn't get a place. And I was like, I know if I can get a place that I'll get her back. So finally I got a place and I got in there. And on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, 2000, it must've been like 2016, somewhere or 17 maybe. Um, I went raw vegan and I quit drinking. I quit smoking for a little bit. And I started meditation and yoga. And the reason was one of my best friends from, from college days, Sean, came over from Korea, flew in town and to stay with me. And this dude is a, he's actually like one of my best friends, my best friend, my mentor, a guiding light, everything. I'm blessed to have him in my life. And I don't have many friends at all in my life anymore. Sean came to me and he didn't try to teach me anything. Literally. He didn't try to tell me anything or teach me anything. He just started living with me, next to me, cleanly, eating healthy, doing healthy things, introduced me to people in LA that weren't part of that other crowd that I knew from the business guy. Oh man, that's so helpful. And it changed me. It changed everything. And, um, you know, to this day, I even called him last week and I was like, bro, do you know, like, I'm so grateful for you. It started back when, you know, when my ex Hanukkah first left me, you know, I was going through all that and you came here and just kind of lived with me and you didn't try to teach me or show me anything. Cause I would have probably re re uh, rejected that. I was very like, you know, stubborn still at that point. Hmm. Um, and he just kind of sat with me and showed me these things that, Hey, Rocky, like you think all you can do in LA is go to the strip club or go to the bar, or go to Hollywood, whatever, go do some coke in the bathroom or go see this guy. 
nah, let me show you what LA is about. Right. Show you the beautiful people, the culture, the meditation centers, the yoga centers, the groups of spiritual people that are out here just talking about these things on a daily basis. And I just dove into it. And man, like it was such a blessing. And, and even still, I had a lot of ups and downs since that point as well. But that has now been a guiding baseline for me. Now I know if I'm going through whatever and I can find it within myself to calm down, slow down, sit down, meditate, get a yoga class, go work out, uh, read a book, you know, by Paulo Coelho, Wayne Dyer, Ralph Smart, any of these people that are on this kind of level of consciousness and this kind of level of learning, even random YouTube videos, mm. um, I can shift that and I can save myself from going back to those things. And last year on my birthday, February 14th, I quit smoking weed and man, and it was during a pandemic. And can you imagine like a guy that smoked weed since 15 and loves smoking? Everyone knows me as a weed. People even still say my eyes look like. <laughs> they like, used to eyes. look high, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, no, I don't smoke weed. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. But um, it was tough, you know, at first. But, and I was crying, man. I was, I was living alone at the same place my ex wife and I had. And every day I was like hearing things in the hallway. I was thinking she was walking back in, like was coming to see me. I was literally, literally pulling my hair out. And just like screaming and, and, and at the same time praying, at the same time, like fighting with me to walk outside for a walk and try to help myself and, and do a little bit of yoga. But the smoking, the stopping smoking weed at that point really made me face it. See, because everyone is different, right? For me, I was smoking weed not to get creative, not to help myself out. I was smoking because I was scared to face this shit. Well, yeah, it's like I always describe to people that ask me who don't smoke weed, like, what's it like? It's pretty much like taking shit in a toilet and then flushing it down because whatever you had going on before the moment you get real high it just clears the canvas to a degree and you can basically be in a very different state right and and that and that could be a positive thing if that's something you want but yeah it can very much be a very bad negative thing because now you're repressing things and you're building up this sort of giant mountain of shit that you haven't dealt with so wanted to just add that context in there but please carry on uh, and you said it beautifully with the shit and all. Seriously, that's exactly what it is. And I also try to tell my people, you know, back home this because no one wants to hear it. I was one of the ones like, yo, shut up. It's weed. It's, I'm chilling. I, I get creative on it. I can work on it better. I'm, I'm this and that. That's so many excuses for it. And I still love the way marijuana smells, looks, touches, feel. I love, I love it. I just know now, and I'll tell you why in a second. I know now for a fact that it's not for me. So as people that, you know, me, as we get addicted to things and wild personalities and, and stubborn people from day one, one lesson sometimes isn't enough. October of last year, I got myself in a new relationship and I got to a point where I really, I felt like if I was going to be myself, I, I had to like kind of almost dumb myself down a certain point and I couldn't deal with things as well. So once again, I went back to my old friend, the COVID mechanism that I had, which is smoking weed. And I again quit on my birthday this year. The first time last year, I went to Bali and got my body detoxed and cleaned up. This year, I went to Tulum and did it. And this time, it was literally transformational. The first time, I was still confused. I was like, I don't really know why I quit smoking weed. I had a feeling it did help me. I'm crying a lot. I'm going through a lot now. I think a lot of it has to do because I'm not smoking weed. But now that I recognize that, I don't want to smoke. I want to feel this stuff and get it out. It actually helped me start writing my book as well. This time, my body was just like, no. But I felt like every bit of me. And I was like in a nice area in Tulum. I felt everything coming out of me, the tears and everything. I felt how much shit I had blocked up just in two months. I mean, like I, so much stuff I had not said that in that relationship. And you know, if it wasn't a spiritual, like wonderful person that I'd finally manifest in my life, the person I'm speaking of, um, they would have probably been like, yo, screw off. Like I'm out of here. I don't, like, I don't know who we are or what's wrong with you, but bye. And this woman had the ability to hold that space for me, which was tough because I'm a six foot two guy and I get upset and, and bothered and, and annoyed and like, and you hear me screaming and you don't want to come like try to hold my hands and make sure I'm okay. You kind of like, stay over there. It's okay. It'll be okay. But yeah. So I finally realized that it's been, it's been a month and a half now. And I realized like I live right down the street from maybe four or five weed shops. And I'm so blessed now man, and grateful that I don't even have that temptation. In me. I just know in my heart that for me, as much as I like and, and don't knock weed at all, it's just not for me. And I've, I've been spending my whole life. I thought, but for me, it's just, it's just literally, it's not for me. My, my vibration is lower. My realness, my openness is just lower. I'm not able to be as real. It's just, I'm so used to using weed and covering up whatever it is on my brain and my heart that as soon as I smoke it, 
it just I muted, you know, and that's not that's not what I want to be. I want to continue to elevate. Like I I do feel successful, but I also feel like a baby on this journey. I feel like I've just I have. It's only been, you know, maybe three to four or five years I've actually really done and all the work when it comes to like internal stuff, when it comes to yoga, meditation, eating clean, getting rid of things in my life and distractions. And I and I'm excited now. Like I I don't really care what tomorrow brings, but I'm excited for it anyway. Like I don't want to know what's going to happen, but I, I'm so excited that like every day, even the hurtful stuff now, I'm starting to realize is it's such a blessing. Like, like I told you, the personal relationship problem I was having last week, last three weeks, I once again got to grow so much just from that and get to dig back inside myself. And it brought up so much that I was able to finally like see without any kind of drugs and drinking in me. Um, and just like, wow, like look how much of a pattern I've had in the last relationships after my ex-wife i got in a relationship immediately a year long after her it was four months later that i'm in right now and the pattern was there and now finally consciously i'm able to be like rocky like you can break that pattern i don't have to do it again when you consciously see it and you know it's there then you can break it and marijuana was part of a huge step for me like i said i smoked since i was young i've had many legal consequences i've been locked up for just weed at least five or 10 times in Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana in New York, maybe in New Jersey also, you know, just for, just for marijuana. And it's like, and not only that, like parents, family, school, this and that, you know, there's all kinds of negative stuff that happens. all kinds. Yeah. I mean, it has all these consequences that it's hard to even like predict, you know, and especially when you're in the moment, you know, not to take away all the things you've shared, but I, I know that someone out there listening to this who may have gotten on this path of like trying to better themselves. I think it'd be valuable to hear someone like you and your perspective on, I know that nobody has like a one time fix for the rest of their life. So you're on a journey and I think every day is going to be its own battle and every day is going to have its own challenges. So for someone like you, who's definitely in a much better place now than you were a decade ago, less than a decade ago, and you've picked up the path of trying to be proactive and conscious about the things you do to better yourself and to at least give yourself that space to allow yourself to experience life as is without adding things. And what I'm really talking about is like meditation, obviously, right here, like taking the time to sit down. And it's not easy. So I want to hear from you about like, you know, how do you continue to deal with that part of it? Uh, any relapses that may come about and, and, you know, your, your perspective on that. So I'd love to sh- hear about this. Yeah. Meditation and yoga, like I said before, it has pretty much been life-saving for me and it's not been easy to this day. Like I'm talking about today, I still can't sit on my carpet over there by myself and close my eyes and get to any kind of meditative state. Earlier today, right on the way here, actually on the way to this podcast to speak with you, I was with my healer, my therapist on Venice beach and we we're sitting there. I told him as well, I was like, you know what, brother, like, I don't close my eyes when I'm alone. And that's why I'm not able to sleep well. I don't, I don't have bad dreams and stuff. So I realized that like, there's a thing in me, a fear in me of that. So what I suggest to anybody out there hearing this is it's going to be, you're shifting your entire body and mind and mindset and the way you think and perceive things in meditation and yoga. So don't expect, you know, to go to one class or do one sitting and just be like, oh, my, it's better. It's taken me this much time to get to a place where I can at least sit with someone else and feel safe and comfortable now. The biggest thing that helped me, which, you know, there's more prevalent in America now, much more so in LA, is taking classes. And, you know, people say, oh, I don't have $20 for this and that. Like, if you got $20 to go to McDonald's versus to go get yourself food for a week at a grocery store, then you definitely have $20 to put into your internal health, into your into your mind, into your heart, and your soul. Right. So the Den Meditation, Peace Yoga, um, Hot Eight Yoga, Soho Meditation, all these places around LA were literally lifesavers to me. And the, the level of energy and consciousness in there is so intense and huge. I would, I would go in there and I would sit in my corner for a little bit and I would just have like, I wouldn't be sad, but I would just have like tears in my eyes because I could feel like the power of these people. And they wouldn't, we wouldn't even have much conversation. They would just look at me pass by and just, smile and like that would be like all i would need i'm like wow like like where like i, I want to cultivate that i want to be able to walk by someone and smile and just and, and, and spread that love to them just like that and i've actually started to be able to do that just the last week of my life when i go to, when i walk to the gym i noticed that like 
if we slow down and look around at how beautiful and how wild it is that we're actually alive and walking and able to make it, you know, with these buildings and, and these sidewalks, then you kind of develop that, I think they call it like agape, like that, that pure, all-consuming love for everything. You radiate that. And that's like, when I saw that, when I got a taste of that in LA from the meditation centers, I wanted, I, I, just, I had to have it all. And I was like, you know what, I got to, I got to know, I got to know this, I got to feel this. This is what I need in my life. So kind of to answer your question, like there's a combination of stuff. Meditation, yoga was very tough for me. It's just, it's not, it's not an easy practice when you're, when, when you're looking for an outcome for it. And I was definitely looking for help. I was like, I need help. I don't know where to get help from, but Sean said, try this and he's doing it. So I'm going to do it also. And for, you know, the first six months, I don't know what came up in me while I was doing yoga, but we would do these poses, right? And every time they would do a pose where we'd look at the ground or like no one could see me, I would just start crying, like, bawling, like not being sad. I had, there was not one like thing I thought about. Like I wasn't like missing my ex-wife. It wasn't like I was sad in my position I was in. I think it was the first time that I cared for my body and myself, mm. that I really truly showed myself some love and some care. And my body was, my body was just like, it was crying in tears. I was like, man, thank you, Rocky. Like, thank you for finally giving this to me. Like, we've been waiting for you. And um, if you just try, you know, yoga, meditation, try to put yourself out there, give yourself a shot and a chance. I'm sure you'll have the same experience. People think, like you were saying, leggings and this and that and flashy. Like, no, nah, it's, it's not. That American culture has, like, changed the way of the face of it. It really is about the connection to your, your mind, your soul, your body, and the universe. And it took a long time for me to feel it because I didn't know what it was when I was crying those days. When I was in yoga class and I was tearing, I didn't know what it was. Now, today, I do know what it is. I feel it. That's, that is literally, that's God. That's like, the, and I, I say God is like the thing that unites us all, the universal soul, basically, that kind of connects everybody. And we all have that within us. and We can all achieve it and grab it any single day. And meditation and yoga are not the only paths, but they're definitely two of the, the very, very strong paths to get there. I'm sure there's plenty of ways and plenty of other you know, people that have many ways to get there. For me personally, yoga, meditation, and then for me, clean eating also. I quit eating meat at the same time uh, way back then. I still eat fish, but I eat a lot more healthier food and put spend money to make sure like I'm eating you know, fresh-caught stuff versus you know, farm-raised um, you know, stuff with that's cooked on good or made in good farms and good areas, alkaline, high alkaline vegetables and things like that. I think it's worth mentioning that all these things that we're discussing, it's an ongoing activity. It's a daily practice. It's a daily discipline. It's not a one time, one problem, you know, solved and now you're done. It's you're when you go and take the journey inward, you realize that it's infinite and it's beyond just you and your current state. There's so much of your ancestry that's tied to you and all of that, that exists, you know, as, as you, as their manifest itself that you don't have any control over, you know, you and I didn't ask to be here in this life. That in itself is the starting point. Something wanted us to be here and that's what gave us life. It wasn't merely just our parents having sex. It was more than that. It's much bigger than that. That was what the love is, right? And coming back to that again, I think this is where a lot of times for meditation, people have a goal in mind. Like, I want to meditate and I want to get X. And it's entirely not that. It's actually sitting down without any goals and seeing what comes up and being okay with it. And I, I, you know, I meditate every day. And as of late December, I'd really decided, you know, just give you a quick synopsis of my background. I used to compete in bodybuilding. And so I was in very good shape physically. You know, I looked like a fucking God, like I was ripped, you know, I was like a mini Arnold, the Brown. And I was just like, so on top of my shit, but I had this huge ego because it was an insecurity piece why I wanted to work out. It's because I got bullied. Yeah, I'm not six foot two like you. I'm like five foot five and a half if I wear shoes with a little sole. Uh, so I, you know, once I moved to this country, all the changes of being different uh, really started to kind of build up this little bit of resentment that kind of transformed itself into my bodybuilding career. But I always had tremendous love at home, no matter how bad things got, you know, and I could relate to like you talking about your father and all. 
especially in Indian cultures, I think son and father always have butt heads for the most part, right? So I can relate to a lot of that. And and I think where, where I'm trying to go with it all is that you said it before, like nothing lasts forever. And that's also true for your internal state. If you have a pressing emotion and a pressing thought, a pressing state that you're feeling of overwhelm, it's not permanent. That is also a passing state, just like any material object in your life. It's going to come, it's going to go, it's going to get deteriorated, it'll break, whatever have you, right? And I think that's the beauty of meditation is to realize that piece on a daily basis because it's almost like we, we need that daily reset. That's We go to sleep at night and we're like completely not here and then we come back into this world and it's almost like you need that reset on a daily basis. So I wanted to just take a moment to highlight that. That this, that this isn't like to say that, you know, you were once in a bad place and now you're in a good place and like it's voila, life's great, everything's good. You know, that's not how it works uh, for anyone, even if you're a friggin' billionaire. I know plenty of my friends who have lots of crypto and lots of stocks and are multi-millionaires close to becoming billionaires who don't even have the basics together. And I don't want to put them down either. I want to just kind of highlight the importance of the inner journey and how important that is. And it shouldn't be overlooked for accolades that are only perceptible by the society, like money and a car and a house and all. You know, and I guess maybe a good question to ask you for this is what does success really even mean to you now that you're in your life? You know, of all the things that you've seen, you've, you're not shy of seeing women and, and money and drugs and partying. And you've been successful in business, you know. So, what does success even mean to you now? So, as much as uh, I want to please my parents, as much as I want to be seen as you know helping member of society, success I finally found out is literally just how I feel inside. If I'm happy with what I have, and if I'm able to keep the things I have with me and just and just flow with life, then I'm successful, man. Like there's there's nothing. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's it, man. <laughs> That's it. For the people who didn't see that, if you're just listening to the audio, I just was pointing to my t-shirt that I'm wearing today, which says, I eat and sleep well. And that to me is success. It's like, I could have all the money in the world, but if I'm not eating well, if I'm not sleeping well, I'm having nightmares, or I'm having like terrible situations the whole time. That's not being successful. So I, I am 125% in agreement with you, bro. Like, that is what success is. It's about the inside. It's about how it is you're dealing with things on the inside. And I suppose that's the last... Go ahead, go ahead. I was saying that's what meditation was like. Like you had the awareness, you know, way back then before you even really got into it in your bodybuilding, like the awareness of like, you know what, like this is kind of like an ego-driven thing and it comes from my past. It comes from like the things I was telling myself before. When we meditate, like now I can meditate almost like when I'm on a drive. I'll, I'll keep the music off. I'll keep the, the quiet mm. drive. I'll put a tape on by like Wayne Dyer, Alan Watts, something really low and mellow. And I have the ability to kind of meditate at that point. And like, it doesn't mean like you become the Buddha and like you're sitting there and like you go to a different place. Like, you know, like that's some other level of it. But meditation, like, is just cultivating the ability to grab that awareness in all the different areas of our life. And I think that that is where I finally came to like that money, if, and if success is not inside you, I know for a fact it's not from the money. The money and the material stuff, it just it doesn't have anything to do with it. And it's such a catch-22 because you have to have some amount of money to do well. And people don't believe me when I say this. And if they do, that means they've done it. Or they just you know, can innately feel that. But you do all this stuff inside, do the meditation, do the work. And it's so wild how everything else it just comes. It's not way more. You're not going to be a billion dollars like in your pocket all of a sudden. But what you need, what your body and your mind or your life, what you need to survive and do well and to flourish will come right to you. That's the key. What you need will be provided for you. Your wants are infinite. <laughs> you know, you'll never have everything you want. But what you need, the universe will always provide that to you, right? And I guess uh Rocky to close out, you know, I want to touch up on a high note and I think something that's very very important and and needs to be mentioned. You mentioned to me, you know, having a relationship with your father that was at ends and I want to know like from the journey that you've had so far, like, what would you say has been like the most valuable lesson that you've learned from your parents? I've learned so many lessons from my parents. Um, and they don't, they, if you ask them, they'd be like, he never learned anything from us. He doesn't listen, <laughs> he doesn't listen to anything. <laughs> um, 
you know, like, like this is going back to love for me, love is a big, like I have a, a, a saying that I say when I'm feeling lower down, uh, kind of like a, um, a mantra and it's, it's, I am love. I just touch my heart. And it's like, I am love. Mm. I'm, I'm love. And my parents fought a lot growing up, you know, a lot, yes, a lot. I could say the same. And, you know, it was tough. It was tough to see. And I had all these judgments and stuff that I put on it, you know, as a kid watching it, you know, it was, it was hurtful and this and that. Seeing them now together, still fighting, but able to live together and have those moments where they smile at each other or make a joke and laugh and, and, and are able to come together and be there for the family at a wedding or this and that. That's the biggest, for me, that's, that's, that's one of the biggest things. You know, I, I hate to like breaking down like emotional love terms, whatever anyone wants to say, but like for me, that, that's what it is. Like to see them after, because we never thought they were going to make it together. And as a kid, I used to tell my parents, like, why don't you just break up? Why don't you just like get, like, get separated? They tell mom, take half his money and run away and I'll, I'll come live with you sometime and him sometime. It was that bad when we were younger, you know? And they still go at it quite, quite frequently, but now I can see it, that the love that they have, it transcends all of that. And that love came into like family, it came into everything. And like, it doesn't even mean they just have it for each other. It's just spread out. It's like a sphere, like uh, in the pilgrimage by Paulo Coelho, talk about the blue sphere of love. And you can feel that when I go home, as much trauma has happened there, as much crazy has happened there, I, I can still sit on that couch in my house in Mobile, Alabama and feel that, mm. feel safe and feel loved. And if they didn't teach me that, you know, show me that. I, I don't know. I, I would have, I would have kind of, kind of went through life more jaded than anything and on top of that on a second on like a simultaneous kind of secondhand note they gave me a lot of tough loves and the lessons i learned from their tough love you know made me made me rock made me rocky i mean like if i didn't have i don't want any parents out there just go be mean to their kids you know what i mean like but um but yeah the tough love that they gave me and they they showed me really really allowed me to to find that strength in myself yeah I think that's the part of like maturing in life is when you look back and you see what your parents have actually done for you, regardless of all the, you know, chaos that existed in an earlier on childhood, especially at both of us being Indian, you know, like I think Indian culture in itself to its essence is so rooted in the transcendent meaning of life, which is that we're not this ephemeral body. We're not this action-driven, compulsive, emotional thing, we're way bigger. We call Atma, right? We have, we have this Atma, like we're way bigger than that. I mean, that's just so rooted in our culture that to like see and like kind of relate to what you were saying. I, everything you said, I relate to because my household was very similar to that. And it's the things that your parents have taught you without even using words. And when you start to realize those things as you grow up, I think that's truly a real sign of wisdom and maturity. And again, man, I'm just so friggin' thankful that you have survived what you've gone through because there's very few people who can probably live to tell the story that you're saying. And, and what I love about you the most is that you're not so attached to that story and narrative. You're really trying to be who you are now. And you almost kind of take that story as if, and that's probably, that's probably why I didn't want to dig into your specifics of like, well, tell me about this time when you got this and that that doesn't have as much value to me as the man that I'm speaking to today. I've, you know, and that's, and I'm hoping that you're okay with that, that we went in that direction. I love it. I love it. I appreciate your awareness to, to, to know that, you know, just from our conversation we had last week that really, um, I'm still, like I said, a baby in this. I'm even with podcasts, I'm learning as you told me about the mics earlier. Too. <laughs> so I appreciate, I appreciate you so much. I'm so grateful to be here and to, to be allowed to share this with you as well. Yeah, man. And the last thing I'll close out with is everyone should know that you're writing a book. At least you're writing two books, as far as I understand. You want to talk a little bit about that before we end? Sure. I'll say a quick piece on it. The first one is Meditations of a Prisoner. It's all my journals compiled from childhood all the way to prison. I'm basically re-editing them, putting them on a digital format and writing an intro and a couple little lines in between explaining what it is. That book is kind of meant to show, because I'm like rapping in there. I'm talking about F the police, kill the police, this and that. Like, <laughs> We kind of want to show the, the the transition of you know that all that going on into the second book, which is going to be a, a full kind of uh, storyline from my childhood all the way to where I'm sitting right now. Um, a lot of what we touched on, going in details about it, started out as just like a cleansing for me to get it out on paper. And the more and more I talked about it with my clients a little bit, and they started realizing like, oh, you went through all this, like why don't you tell us? Like that's so motivational, so inspirational. 
you know, I want to work with even more. I was like, you know what? I don't need to just keep this myself. I think I need to share this. And that's how we're sitting here today. This happened. I started this six months ago. I've done maybe a hundred podcasts since then. And I just started from quitting weed, crying every day for like three or four months. And then a random LinkedIn message and one podcast. And while I'm writing my journals, like, Hey, might as well make it a book. And it's all just, it's all just happened, you know, recently. So blessed, man. Blessed. Blessed. That's literally like the theme of the whole, whole conversation here. You know, there's a force much bigger than you and I can ever understand and comprehend that's watching us. And I don't want to say that in a cynical way, like it's somebody watching us, but it's more like it takes care of us, man. Like this whole planet, this whole ecosystem, this whole freaking universe, how is it even existing? It's a beyond fathomable. And for us, these two little beings to be able to talk to each other and share our story and our journey and inspire one another. And it's, it's, that is life. There's no, there's no other one. Like that is the life that we are living. So Man, thank you again for being here and please come back on the podcast anytime you want to. You always have an open invite and uh, if you're ever in San Diego, you're always welcome. You have a house here. So we'd love to have you. Uh, Thank you everybody for checking out another great, great episode and we wish you all the best. Thank you for checking out the show. I really appreciate your time and I can't wait to hear from you. If you want to give me any feedback or want to get in touch, know someone that I should put on the show, reach out to me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, wherever you are online, you bet you can find me there. Just search for The Real Abinov. Thank you and we'll see you next time.